Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. And we have another episode of Table Talk, not Thursday, but Monday this time around. Uh, we, we talked on Monday after Easter because we wanted to just process through some of the things that are going on in our world. Specifically, um, there's a, a big court case in Minneapolis uh, regarding the death of George Floyd and the police officer, Derek Chauvin, who was on trial. Um, and we're not talking so much about the trial itself, but we go into detail about how we as Christians sort of process through this uh, emotionally, how we continue to um, stand in solidarity and support uh, with our brothers and sisters of color, um, who are very much part of the church. And we want to figure out how to talk through this and about this in a way that is meaningful, in a way that is loving and supportive. And so uh, this is Pastor Daniel, Pastor Nathan, and myself uh, for about an hour-long discussion about these matters. I hope you uh, will listen intently. Welcome to Table Talk Monday, uh, you formerly known, <laughs> aka Table Talk Thursday. Great opportunity for us to connect. Um, we just wanted to have some conversations today, just how we're all processing some of the things that are going on in our world. Um, and so, yeah, welcome, folks. Glad that you are here. As usual, you can comment in the comment section. Uh, if we are able to, we will um, speak to those questions. Uh, otherwise, man, it was just great to be back with these brothers again, man. It looks nice. Like the band disbanded and then we came back for our 20 year reunion. It's super awesome. So, so I think you, I think you have were. more white in your beard. I, hey, yeah, brother, I think hey, you have brother, more white hey, in your beard. I resemble yeah, that yeah, comment. Yeah. <laughs> I resemble that comment. Good. Well, good. Obviously, we are here together. I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church Canton. Uh, and I'm here with Pastor Nathan as well as Pastor Jeff. How are your brothers doing? And uh, whatever you want to say, of course, and then we can get started in chat. Anyone? Okay, I'll go. Um, so <laughs> last time we were doing Table Talk Thursday, we weren't we weren't back in person. We were still at home. Oh, and then we had this we had this whole season where people, you know, started going back in person and we currently are back in person, but I am now back at home. Uh, because we unfortunately were exposed to somebody who tested positive for COVID. And then my whole family got tested as well. And all of us, except for one, is um, negative. The one child that tested positive uh, was the child that had it a year ago. So it's just like all the fun memories back again. But she's, she's, she's okay. Um, she's in isolation with my wife. And then me and two other kids are... Um, hanging out again too so roughing it huh yeah it's deja vu all over again um but I'm, I'm grateful that we're able to have her be home this time instead of in a hospital so yeah. i'm excited to have some conversation with you all today absolutely well sorry to hear that brother obviously our prayers are with you um thank you for all you did to uh, you know always even this sunday man we've had a great time and it's all the efforts that you and david as well who is uh, currently quarantining, uh, put in place. So we're thankful for that. Pastor Nathan, Bishop, Archbishop, Nitha. Oh my goodness. Nitha. Titles with, uh, with no benefit. Uh, uh, no, I, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I am not, I'm none of those things. Um, you know, I, I think coming off of Easter, there's so much work and so much preparation for it. And we had a wonderful time on Easter with people coming back, just seeing over 20 different families who made Easter the first time they came back in person and remembering, um, like you said, we're in this stage now where we're remembering what happened last year in the pandemic while we're still in the midst of it. And it is a very weird experience. Um, you know, we, we did a recorded video. I was on top of the roof and this time we got to be in person with people and then um, it was joyful, um, celebratory exciting and yet still you know having two of our uh, uh three of our team members not able to be there and they're everyone's okay but not able to be there because of quarantining it still feels like we're slowly slowly moving back to where we were um there's so much going on in the world today and that feels like that's been consistent for an entire year just constant um barrage 
of stimulus and uh, most of it important things. And um, so a little exhausted from all of that, but much more hopeful about um, where the church is as a whole, as well as where we're going in this pandemic. Um, so it's good to be with people. I'm waiting for us to get further and further down the line um, with the pandemic and just waiting for the day where we can put some of this some of this, if, uh, if not all of it, behind us um, and move on. So now when you say you're happy with the state of the church, you're talking Big C Church or Life Church Canton? Oh, I'm talking about Life Church Canton, not I Big C Church. Big C Church, there's Big some, C Church got a lot got of some stuff going on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I too, I'm super encouraged by what's going on at, at Canton and um, just the, the, the breadth of life that seems to be just coming back in terms of obviously the COVID has just put a lot of people at home, even this Sunday with the many people who are like, hey, it's my first time back and it's exciting and they're happy. So thank God for that. Thank God for all of our volunteers who made things happen uh, for all the staff as well. So we're super thankful. Well, as we sort of shift, uh, shift gears a little bit and we chatted a little bit about what's going on in our nation. Uh, and particularly, we, we just wanted to share how we are processing through um, just the, uh, the George Floyd uh, trial, what's going on in that process, uh, and maybe uh, some principles, just some biblical principles to latch onto uh, wherever you find yourself in the spectrum of feelings as it pertains to this trial and even the, uh, the things that have happened before and after, the after you know, sort of after uh, the death of George Floyd, just how you're processing through those things, how we ought to be processing through. So we're gonna be a little raw as it were, but uh, measured by God's word, obviously, because that's our, our go-to and being led by the spirit. And we wanna be led by God's spirit through that process. So feelings and emotions are great. God gave them to us. Uh, but we also want to filter that through God. And so that's kind of our purpose, if I could say, just to connect today. So brothers, how are you guys doing? How are you processing through that? And of course, this question comes back my way too. So uh, I'll be thinking, but um, where would we like to start? Pastor Jared, would you, would you like to kick us off? Just yeah. how, how you're processing through this whole thing called Mr. Floyd, who is now internationally known. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think... Um... And even as we were just processing a little bit ahead of time before going on this call, um, just trying to figure out like what what's necessary for us to say and and trying to get into the heads of people who might even be watching right now or watching later or listening later, because I think we're going to put this on the podcast, um, is like, why this topic? You know, there's a lot going on in our world. Why are we talking about this topic specifically? And I think it's important to do a little bit of a callback to some discussions when we were originally started Table Talk Thursday is uh, these kinds of uh, situations were coming up and were, were huge in the news. And so naturally we were talking about them and naturally the sermon series that we were in was Ephesians, which is all about unity in the church and yep. trying to deal with different uh, people from different backgrounds and how to have a church together. So this was, this was very much front and center. Um, but additionally, I think it's important for us as specifically Life Church Canton for us to process as teaching pastors mm -hmm. uh, this particular situation um, with, with the, the case is because we are a church that has been unequivocal um, and honest and open about saying we're going to be a church that cares about, talks about, acts out justice matters of justice, specifically racial justice, and talk about where there is injustice. And so I know that there are folks that are like, um, you know, okay, we're, so we're talking about this again. And yes, we are, um, because there's still, <laughs> there's still room for us to grow um, and knowledge for us to gain and pain for us to feel and to be empathetic toward and sympathetic, sympathetic toward. And so um, th those are just some of the things that I've been yeah. processing with for like the rationale behind this conversation and behind yeah. us intentionally, you know, coming to this space on Facebook live and eventually the yeah. podcast to have these conversations. So I, you know, I, for those that are currently watching live right now, I'd be curious, you know, to hear what your comments are too. And you can put those in the thread, but th there's more that I can share. Um, but I'll, I'll stop now and let Nathan process yeah. too. 
You mean as you mean our one serm series on justice didn't fix all the issues in the world? <laughs> well, and that's the interesting thing is we never did a sermon series on justice, right? This is very true. Like we did a series on Ephesians, <laughs> uh, and we did a series called "Sticking on to the, the Gospel." On the gospel, right, 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 right. And what came out of that as a natural byproduct, you you can't well said. You can't miss it when you're going through the scriptures, yeah. uh, responsibly. It, it's gonna come up. You're gonna have to yeah. talk about it. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful that we've done that. It's been hard. Uh, clearly it's been hard, but, um, I'm grateful for the work that we've put in and, um, what's come as a result of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, you know, talking about that. And for those who maybe don't understand exactly what we're talking about, there is a, a publicized, a video, um, of the trial, of the police officer um, who is uh, who is being tried for murder of George Floyd, and that's part of it. Why I think it's important for us to speak is the televised nature of it. You know, when we think of George, uh, the, uh, Mr. Martin, and all the other things that we've seen, we've been able to get police or, or sketches. We've been able to see maybe some video of stuff, but to be able to watch the entire trial um, from beginning to end is something that is completely unique. And I, I know we'll talk about some of the dynamics that are going on inside of the courtroom um, that are causing kinds of emotions and revealing some things. And, and I think that's important for us to discuss. But another reason is, you know, sometimes we hear these court hearings and we know nothing of what happens. All of a sudden, we're, we're just getting a verdict. Now, there's even more on the line. Um, because we're seeing how things are going. We're seeing the prosecutors and the defense and their arguments and what they're trying to do. And I know I don't want to get ahead of us um, and talking about that, but primarily why this matters to me is I'm thinking of um, all of the individuals who are, um, who are black or minorities. And as they watch this unfold, the emotions that they're experiencing in the moment of watching it is is profound and it's not just our church it's across the country abc news is doing uh, did an interview and just said how as you as a black person are are you experiencing watching this trial and and it ranges from i can't watch i have to mute the tv to yeah i kind of expected it to go this way or i'm not getting my hopes up or i mean the emotions as as a as a black person watching this could be often re-traumatizing to the own experience or the own um reality that they've they've been through so i think this is this is um it's not just hey there's a trial happening it's a trial that we can see and it's um it, it, for me personally, I've found it very difficult to watch, whether it's the footage of the defendants or the footage of the um, different videos that they have, both body cam and from the street. It, it, it is much more visceral. It's much more in your face. And I think for us, I'm hoping in our conversation, we can have a discussion about one, how are you doing with this? How, how are you experiencing? But also, are you putting yourself into the shoes are you placing yourself into the position of someone who looks different than you um, i'm speaking specifically to white people are you putting yourself in the position about how a person of color may be experiencing this trial are we loving our brothers and sisters by standing with them with them in the midst of this uh, so i think that's another aspect of it not just the justice not just what uh justice being done and that kind of thing but also man we are experiencing something that is bringing a, 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 a reality to the forefront of our eyes. If we're willing to see, are you willing to see? And then making us confront it. And many of us, you know, we have a choice in that moment as uh, specifically those who don't, who are white to, to keep looking or to turn our eyes away and to turn our eyes away from the plight of our brothers and sisters, to turn our eyes away from the discomfort of it. Um, and to turn our eyes away from what what God is trying to do um, in the church as we observe what's going on in uh, a very secular community. So that's kind of all over the place on that one. No, no, that's perfect. I, I think you, you brings up a, a couple of uh, probably follow up questions that we'll probably discuss through. But as, as we want to be faithful to drop in, hopefully, God willing, spiritual nuggets along the way, what I hear and what you're saying is um how are we caring for each other um and so i think one of the principles that jumped the mind is 
um, Romans chapter 12, verse 15, 16. As you're talking, this is what came to my mind is rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with those of low position. Do not be conceited. And so the Bible is teaching us to not be proud and not be self-consumed, but to be in a position where we are often and always rejoicing with people who rejoice. And I think that's an easy one. Everybody would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then how often are we mourning with those who mourn? Um, and so I think this would be a great opportunity to exercise that uh, with each other. And I think when we talk about mourning, I, I wanna be clear that I'm the things that I'm mourning um, personally, uh, as a Christian who happens to be black, um, is I'm mourning the death of George Floyd. I'm also mourning the death that uh, Derek Chauvin will probably be going through or is going through. I I'm mourning his life, his loss of life, his loss of um, uh, privacy, all these things that go with that. I think there's enough mourning to go around because the image of God has been destroyed in both people. If you take a life, You've, just, you've shown that the image of God in you personally has been damaged and marred, and as well as you've marred other people's uh, images. So I think there's it's helpful to think, think of it from that perspective that there is multiple layers of losses. And let's not even talk about the loss of families who will lose loved ones, who have lost a loved one, uh, who will continue to mourn. A settlement in any amount doesn't bring back George Floyd nor does it erase the trauma that people of color and uh, not of color, right? So that's another thing that I'm curious about is, um, I know, uh, and we've seen this even through the trial, that there are people who are not black who have felt viscerally what it looks like to see another human's life be snuffed out. So we wanna love on all of us, right? We wanna care for all mm -hmm. of us. So principle number one, I guess, from what I pulled from what you said, Pastor Nathan is, hey man, we need to learn how to care for each other and, and relate to each other and mourn as the Bible says with each other. And of course, rejoice with each other. Um, so that's, that's super cool. Um, so I think coming back to just how I'm processing it, I think, um, I think there's so many layers. You know, I was sharing with you guys earlier that there is my, um, my, my sort of eschatological view, right? My, my, my future view, my, you know, eschatological is in last things, the future. If I look at it from a biblical perspective, I'm not expecting justice on earth. Uh, in fact, I'm expecting increasing injustice. A world without a just God as central will increasingly become less and less just. That's just gonna happen, uh, right? And so if you think about even the law of physics, matter doesn't get better it, it 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 gets worse if it's not if there's nothing alien in, uh, introduced to it so matter gets worse with time it just it naturally atrophies there's law law of entropy like all of those things are there and i think when we talk about human beings human beings apart from god just get worse and worse and worse and uh if we don't have a standard of sanctity of life in and outside of the womb I think it's super easy to um, to expect what we have and actually worse. So on that on that uh, you know biblical perspective, I'm not expecting anything from this trial. A trial is not going to do anything to fix anything. If it does go in a way where justice comes out, um, where and it's clear, um, then that's a that's a, that's an amen moment that we can you know say, oh, at least our system isn't as bad as it could be. Uh, because that, and so, so there's that piece. That piece is also informed by the long history of African Americans not being um, justly represented, justly treated by the systems that exist. And when I say systems, that is, I mean whether it's academic or educational systems, whether it's the health system, and of course the judicial system. And so, because uh, African Americans in large make up the largest population in a minorities in whole of the prison population. So those two things keep me uh, real about what I need to expect, help me manage my expectations. Then from the other perspective, the sort of more optimistic part of me is hopeful that this would be a point where as an African-American, we don't have to, um, we don't have to explain in ad nauseum the reality of how there's a two-tier system in America. Mm -hmm. 
how the system treats people of color differently, how, how people who are not of color could walk into churches and murder people with a machine gun and walk out unscathed and have a Diet Coke after with the cops but how a black man with no weapons, supposedly, allegedly uh, tendering a counterfeit $20 led to him being murdered. Um, and so, so, so those type of things that happen, not one off, right? I remember when we were doing table talk initially, we ran out of space of black names that were being murdered week after week after week after week. So, so those are the things that I'm processing uh, but my end resolve is always going to be trying to come back to a gospel centric approach is that this is proof positive that all people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and all people need to be transformed by it. Uh, both both the man who may have tendered a $20 counterfeit bill and the man who was responsible for taking his life and the people who are all around the bystanders who are seeing life being snuffed out and are either apathetic towards it or emotionally distraught by it. All of us need the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we're not putting all of our eggs in the basket of this world, but we're resting in the God who is super mm. above this world. That That's sort of my little spill on that. Um, how, how, what, any thoughts or as we even talk through, um, I guess for the most part, not just how we're processing, but why this is even needed to be processed. I mean, cause that's another thing that kind of just jumped out when you were talking Pastor Jared earlier was, this is, we're doing this because we know that there is a need, but why are people, why are some people not doing it? Why, you know, you're like, what, what's the impetus behind why this is even important to have this dialogue? Um, so. Yeah, I think it's important to, um, for us as pastors, uh, you know, some of us are, are more shepherding type of pastors. Mm. And, and in that element of our workspace, it's important. I think you said, just like Romans 12, 16, the mourn with those who mourn, we have to have a pulse on our community to have a sense for where they're at so that we can appropriately come alongside them and care and, um, and mourn appropriately too. Um, and the three of us are human, right? Like we, we yeah. all feel things and struggle with things and uh, are affected emotionally by things that we see in our world, uh, some more than others. And mm -hmm. this was based on, you know, our backgrounds and our, our wirings and those kinds of things. Um, yeah, I think, Nathan, what you said earlier is there's just something unique about this whole thing is televised. And so mm -hmm. those images that, that um, keep coming up, you can't help but see them and then you can't unsee them, right? And um, in case anybody didn't get to see it, or for those that are going to listen to this on the podcast, uh, Stephanie Kalidas, sorry, Kalidas, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, she said at the IF gathering, they talked about this. She said, mm. they spoke about anniversaries of these traumatic events. It was interesting mm. to hear them say that our bodies slash minds remember these things and begin to mourn even before our conscious minds mourn. I thought that was a uh, the really body keeps count i've heard yeah. people say yeah and so like let's just say faith aside for a moment mm. um what i what i think she's saying here is there's science to to back oh, up time. what um what the mind body experiences in in trauma and yeah. clearly i mean when we and we've talked about mental health on a table talk thursday before mm. as well and there's just it has exponential um impact on people yeah. and so that's why i think it's important for us as pastors um to model what it looks like to to process this mm. in a healthy way mm. um but then also to make ourselves available in kind of a semi-public format for those who are hurting and don't know where to go and, and need to reach out and so they can at least see us for now and maybe others on staff who they can know that you know what i yeah i am processing a lot i didn't even realize it until you named it and so, so that's helpful for me uh, to talk about. I think the other thing that I've been thinking about too is just how should Christians, how should followers of Jesus process things like this? You talked about expectations. You know, what should we expect from this, from, from a secular institution, from the courts? And then even if let's, okay, let's say um, uh, the officer is given uh, a verdict that um, is a desirable one, I guess. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't like who wins then, right? Mm -hmm. um, and 
because life is still lost. You, you mentioned death is still, it's it's real. still present, right? It's happened, um, yeah. Death or death, where's your sting? Well, it's, it's mm-hmm. right there, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, and like, how do we process emotionally? Should, should I be excited that justice is served in, in a worldly sense? Um, and, and I struggle back and forth with that, like, uh, but then also trying to identify with those who are hurting outside of me. I, I want to pro- process mm. emotionally that's honest, but also helpful. So like, and I don't have a, like a clear, like certain, like, oh, this is how you should feel, Jared, you know? Yeah. So those are just some of my machinations, as it were. I did have a scripture that I'm going to share a little bit later that was helping me to make sense mm. of how Jesus processes trauma. But I'm mm. going to get a, a pause uh, for just a second and throw it back to Nathan. Yeah, um, I would continue to maybe put another layer on it. So I think what really hit me the first time is watching it last week early in the trial, uh, which again is unique. We don't get to do that much at all. So you're, you're, um, you're watching the, de- the defense of the police officers as he, uh, his defense is building a case to get him off and so to, to make sure that he doesn't get convicted. Watching them do that with the prosecutor's witnesses, cross-examining them, um, it's very clear that there's a narrative that they're trying to build. That's their job. Mm-hmm. But what was really, uh, frankly, I, I'm still experiencing a lot of emotions about it, is there's a man whose name was Williams who was there who filmed it. And the line of questioning um, continued to try to emphasize how angry he was, mm-hmm. um, Williams, who was a black man. You were, you were angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a witness, you're angry, you're angry, mm-hmm. you're angry. You're angry. You're angrier. The crowd's angrier. And, and my, I believe what he was trying to do is see that the police officers who uh, have the guns and the, the uh, pepper spray and how many there were there were feeling, I'm assuming they're trying to say that they were under threat. And that is some kind of justification mm. what they did. Okay, so let's take what the defense's job is to do and put it aside. What was happening for my brothers and sisters, I'm assuming, and I can't say that, but what I was getting frustrated with is it apparently was reinforcing the stereotype of the angry black man. Mm-hmm. So much so to the point where William says, no, you're not going to paint me as an angry, an black, angry man, black man and yeah. winks at him. Yeah. This trope, maybe my hope, right, is that somebody who's watching this who doesn't believe that this is a thing, that, that really just, you know, black people just are worse and, mm-hmm. and just end up deserving to be in jail more. Mm-hmm right? Like that, that, that the numbers don't matter. They're just actually reprobates. And the reason why there's more black people in jail per capita is because they're actually terrible human beings. Now they would never say that, but mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. they believe would see this. And you can see my emotions rising right now. So I'm going to try to make sure that I'm being clear. Um, are you angry? This I am angry. Are you I an angry white right, man right now, brother? I am an angry and I'm getting angrier. So I'm bringing it down. Here's, here's, here's what I would say with it is the defense is using what is very true in our world that we view people, black people, black men as angry as a way to win his case. It is so evident and so clear and God forbid, forbid it's, it's, it is effective. Um, that that shouldn't is. be the reason it, it is effective. So here, here's what I'll say with this and I'll try to keep it. My hope is that those who eyes have been half lidded or they're, they're closed to this will go, oh, the defense sees that this is a tactic that will work. They're going to use it to win. Okay, so if it's a tactic that'll work, meaning it exists in our society today, and that it most likely will pay off in the end for them to paint every person of color as someone whose understanding is dominated by their feelings and emotions, as if it is not hard. It is not difficult. It is not traumatizing. It is not anger-inducing justice to watch someone die <laughs> who's begging for their life. <laughs> it is so ridiculous to <laughs> me that I sat there and went, my God, my God, can we not learn to have empathy for each other and love? Can we not value human life? Can we stop saying the same old story uh, again and again and again. Um, and, and I think that's just a piece and this is one part of the trial and the trauma, but I think it, I agree with you guys in that um, 
it is a human trial with human people using human ways of reasoning. And, and we need Jesus to intervene. We need God to intervene. And we need God to intervene in our hearts. Last thing I'll say, because I kind of went a little farther into that than I no, wanted to. No, you're good, brother. We're tracking. I was thinking about Williams and how he was getting traumatized. I don't know. I can't speak for him. But he was so recognizing what was happening to him. He acknowledged, no, you can't make me an angry black man. How many times had that man experienced it? And if that man's experiencing it from this white attorney who's making a point, how many times are my brothers and sisters sitting on the other end of the screen, like I am, feeling the same thing? Being re-traumatized, retold, re-explained that you, because of the color of your skin, your emotions define it. And I know I don't know everything. You can make a hundred arguments about how I'm wrong in my understanding of what I see but I'm taking a step back and place myself with those who are watching who, uh, that, whose skin is different than me and what they may be experiencing and what they may be traumatized by a line of questioning. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a few things, brother, brothers, plural. Even let me start with the mental health piece that Jared was talking about. Like, that's just huge, right? Uh, it's amazing when we're talking stats um, the same stats that justify people saying black on black crime or that in some people's mind justifies the the sort of um, the, the disposition towards seeing that blacks are less than all those stats can be also explained with other stats that people don't pay attention to. Right. So, for instance, if if you say by and large, let me let me just assume the trope is true. I'm not, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying let's 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 play it out. If you assume that blacks are by and large angry, then you should also be asking the question, hopefully, why are they angry by and large? And then when you start to realize and study what's called episodic memory, right? Which is, in, in, it, it's, 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 it, it is beyond just regular memory. It is, you can actually feel viscerally the experience you had in the past. So we, we you know, we will, that also comes under the, the, the banner of re-traumatizing people. If you look at what happens to the brain and to the central nervous system when you're having an active anxiety attack, right, over and over and over and over, if you look at what happens to your neurotransmitters and your synapses and how your body is on edge and how you're tense, all these even physical feelings you have, it, 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 it's amazing how when we talk about policing, um, and then, you know, a, a white cop pulls over a black person and the black person becomes nervous, palms start sweating. The response typically is, oh, you're being deceitful. No understanding of the fact that nine times out of 10, and this is just me throwing out a number, but majority of the time when I interact with a cop, my life isn't more likely to be snuffed out than it is for me to make it home. That breeds a regular sense of anxiety. I'm super comfortable. Uh, uh, um, uh, aware of that when I get pulled over by the cops, that I my hands are 10 and 2, and I sit there and I'm having as much a polite conversation as I've ever had. It happened to me just a couple of weeks ago when I got pulled over, uh, and 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 I, and I was like, "Hey, officer!" In fact, it was so it was such a dramatic experience for the officer that he literally wrote on my ticket, even though he still gave me a ticket. He said, "Very polite, very cooperative, right?" Because I'm like, "No, I'm giving you no reason." I'm giving you no reason. Nathan knows this. I've called him, put him on speaker, you know, when I had, when I get pulled over by cops, right? And so, so there's that piece. There's the opposite episodic memory that happens, the re-traumatizing. It's not even, it, it, let me say for me, we, I get re-traumatized. So I can only speak from my experience, but I've talked to enough people to know they do too. And in fact, uh, psychology as a whole is beginning to study what they call post-traumatic slave syndrome. And they really do more work into that to see how it affects people, how the tropes affect African-Americans. We did this with Jewish people. We did this with, with people, everybody else has been oppressed. It, it makes sense to be able to do it with black people. So there's that piece. But then there's the other piece of what you're saying, which is if you think about the Southern strategy that was used throughout all of the uh, political system in order to be able to galvanize the Republican vote, uh, to say that they're barbarians at the door, let's keep them at bay, uh, they're gonna take our country, you know, that sort of the sense of, you know, uh, going back to an America where blacks were more subjugated is the, is the, is the utopia, uh, because we wanna go back to when we had less barbarians in charge. That Southern strategy, the reality of it, while it's wrong, it worked. 
and it still works. And so when you say to a person, you're angry, normally the person might get angry because you just said they're angry. And so you're hoping that you can irritate them enough. Actually, to be honest with you, because I used to want to be a closeted you know, lawyer, I am a closeted lawyer. That's one of the trainings that you have in criminal law is how you can trigger your, your witness or the opponent's witness to take them off their game so that they either forget information or miss say information or lose their cool, especially if they're on trial. And then it makes people say, oh, you can't be, you can't be trusted. Uh, it happens all the time. And, and I would be surprised if they don't do that to Chauvin, you know, they, if, when he get if he stands up, it's just a natural, normal tactic. So there is a sense where what Nathan is saying is very true. And I have to always watch my heart on this. The defense attorney is doing his job. You know what I mean? That, that's his job. That's what he's paid for. I can't hold any personal grudges. I mean, some people delight in their job and might do it better than others, but he's doing his job. But that trope works, and you have to understand this too. And I know I think this is kind of you've made this. I'm sure you've made this connection. That trope, in so many ways, is what led to show, to Derek uh, to uh, George Floyd's death. That same trope that you're angry, you're frustrated, you're defensive, you are a dangerous black man. Every single cop that's ever shot someone has always said, "I feared for my life." Every cop that's always, and they have to say that, they, they have to say that in order to justify the exigent circumstances that they put themselves in. So they have to justify that they shot you because they feared for their life. The interesting thing that I'm always curious to learn is whenever, most of the time, when it's a white person with a gun in hand who has probably killed people, for instance, in, in Charlotte, walk into the church, murdered multiple African-Americans, captured with no incident, bought him some Doritos and a Diet Coke. Have a great day. He's doing okay, he's safe and no harm happened to him. But whenever it's a black person, you don't even have to have a gun. You don't even have to have anything that looks like a gun. You just have to be black because we've programmed many of our police officers, not all, I don't wanna say all, but many of our police officers to see black people as dangerous, as angry, as frustrated, as ready to arm, and also another sub trope that happened, um, that happens in America is that blacks feel less pain, and so they need more force in order to be put down. All of these tropes are happening, and I think it's helpful that we're calling them out because some people may see him say, "Hey, um, were you angry? Were you for?" and not think anything of it. But when you begin to hear the dog whistles and you begin to play the Southern strategy into this, this is exactly what's going to happen. And imagine back in the days when the jury was all white, who also believed that trope, they would have said to themselves, yeah, of course, he had to, he had to kill him. The black guy, you know, these black guys, you have to, you have to put them down sooner than later. So again, all that is so interesting because I think we need to look beyond our cultural tropes the things that we've believed, I want to sort of challenge anybody, black and white, to really start to say, why do I think the way I think? Why do I feel, like whatever feeling you're feeling about this case, if you think that if, if Derek Chauvin goes to jail, if you think that that's gonna make you happy, I want you to ask yourself why that is, like why your happiness is tied to that. And if you think him getting off makes you happy or, or, or gives you some sort of sense of joy, all right, I want you to challenge yourself and ask why, because it's back to what we said earlier is, is it's kind of what we said also with the political thing some months ago, right? It's like, if you are happy or elated, uh, if your day is, if your life is broken or made by what happens in the political system or maybe in the judicial system, then that's where your heart is. That's your God, that's your idol, that's what you're worshiping. You are worshiping either some sense of human justice, which will never give you what you want, which will never give you, give you what's godly, or you're worshiping some sense of ethnocentrism that's causing you to say, yeah, they deserve that or this person deserves that. So yeah, that's a little soapbox, but I just think that those are all things that are, that are beneath the surface that I don't think we're processing. And I think it's helpful for us to, and we're, we're kind of raw at this. So folks, this is not like a rehearsed thing that we're doing right now. We are really just having this conversation before you, to be honest, like Pastor Jared said, just so you can see that as a Christian, not only can we process this, we should process it. Yeah, I, 
That's good. I'm not going to add to anything um, of what you just said, because it's really good. But I did want to come back to the scripture that I was thinking about. Mm. Um, that sounded really Canadian for a second. About, um, yeah, about. So I, I was trying to figure out, like, is there a story in scripture that, like, connects to this moment or other moments like it? Um, and then my mind went to the death of John the Baptist, actually. Mm. And, and so... Um, one little disclaimer sometimes i think we think about these scriptures as like oh this is old ancient books two thousand years ago you know and and it's easy to think of them as caricatures of mm. like although that, that was like those are like the people i saw in like children's bible or children's book or something like that or and super so the, christians yeah and the effects of the events don't have emotions tied to them because we have so um intellectualized and maybe academicized if that's a word our <laughs> our bibles in some ways we've, we've yes. put them in chapters and verses right and we've put them in sections and we've made it into a textbook and we have therefore uh, removed its emotion removed any trauma um mm. from it and and have very difficult time seeing it with human eyes i think um and so uh, I was thinking about the death of John the Baptist. And this is, you know, the cousin of, of Jesus. This is um, a family member, a friend, a person who is on board with the mission of the kingdom of God. Um, and he hears about John getting unjustly murdered, decapitated for, for sport, right? Mm. Um, and just the the gruesome news that that would be for Jesus to hear well after it had happened, right? Like yeah, it yeah. didn't the news didn't travel by Twitter. And so he's having to hear about <laughs> this later on. And I can't imagine the trauma. And this is the the next verse. And we don't we don't get to see inside of the emotion all that much in scripture. And here we don't really either, but like I want to try to put myself there. It says as um Later, John's disciples came for his body and they buried it. Buried it. Uh, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 14, by the way. Uh, then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Just, I got to be by myself. I can't. I can't. <laughs> you know. He and he's God, right? And we like to think, well, he probably was just like, well, this is all part of the plan. We're happy. You know, we're right on course with where we're supposed to go, but. He has to go be alone. Um, I, I imagine he's devastated and I, he's human. I wouldn't bet that he's struggling with some trauma even here too. Had to go be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw that the huge crowd, uh, saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And then he goes on to feed, you know, 5,000 people. That's the men. And, the, and and so I'm just like, man, how do you, how do you begin to process what Jesus does in a moment of utter devastation, hearing the news that your best friend, that your cousin, that your coworker in the kingdom of God has been unjustly killed? And what are your emotions attached to that? And then how, how do you move from that to like having compassion for the sick and the hurting uh, and then go feed, you know, a couple thousand people. And I, I don't necessarily have like a solution <laughs> or like a nice, you know, I'm going to tie that with a nice neat bow, just like trying to figure out how to understand Jesus in moments of trauma, you know. Last it's good scripture. You wonder if like compassion was part of the mourning, maybe, you know, like is, is compassion for others is your heart when violence is done is your compassion um, for people um, expanded. I mean, you have to have some kind of fortitude in your identity in God and some kind of understanding of the heart of God uh, to continue to, to love like that. But yeah, there's a there's a big gap 
between that, that moment, the end of the period, privately to a solitary place. And when the crowds came and sometimes you wish, obviously it was private, so he was alone. Sometimes you were wish that the Bible had written that portion down. You know, that, like how do we in trial and all this place when we're having a dark night of the soul, when we're feeling anguish, where do we go? What do we do? And it's almost like, man, give me that section of scripture. And that's when I rely on the Psalms, when I rely on um, the moments where it talks about God meeting us in that pain, in that emotion, in that hurt. And I, I think sometimes we forget to, to tell people, like in the moments of these anguish, we can turn that anguish outward or, or try to numb it. You know, turn that anguish outward onto other people in the form of anger or manipulation or control or turn it inward uh, and say, I don't want to feel this anymore. I'm numb. Or we can do what Jesus did every time he went to be by himself, which I'm assuming he's doing here, is um, he goes to be with his father and to talk to God and let him pull in to receive that. And I think we forget that we can give this anguish, this rage, even this hurt, Amen. this anger, we can give it to God. And we, that he can take it. In fact, the Psalms are full of that, of taking that rage and saying, God, I'm angry. I'm mad. And he takes our anger and rage and he points out where it's sinful, but then he also gives us his peace. And I got to think that in that moment he went and the result was right. Compassion and love. Um, when, when he could be uh, disgusted with the people who continue to, to sin. I, I, I am amazed by God's ability to receive our hurt and pain and actually his desire to meet us in the midst of it again and again and why the Holy Spirit in prayers is so important in that process and how by doing that and finding peace doesn't minimize the injustice that was done, but allows us to lead through it and then love the world the way the world needs to see that injustice changed um, in the people that we interact with. So good. Yeah, so, so good. So I have, um, as, as we've just been talking, it's been like five principles that have popped out that I think it's helpful to just share with the folks. Um, I think one of the things we, we, we talked about initially was just mourning with those who mourn, uh, being able to relate with people, right? Uh, we, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of know intuitively that we should rejoice with those who rejoice. But I think it's less intuitive to mourn with those who mourn. So principle number one, relate to people, proximity, connect with people, mourn with those who mourn. Uh, a second principle I heard is knowing, uh, having, this is paraphrasing folks, so just make it your own, but know that um, the justice you desire can only come from God not from any world system. So it is having a, 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 a biblical mindset about the limitations of all the systems in this world. Uh, the systems were never intended to give you what only God can give you. They were meant to be tools and resources. So principle number two, essentially rely on God as the only one that can truly be just and provide justice and let that inform um, how you put your faith and your trust in worldly systems, whether it's political, judicial, or any other, or even the healthcare system, whatever it is, trust in the Lord. Uh, principle number three, and brothers, please add to it if I miss something, because you know, I, I'm, I'm limited. <laughs> um, but principle number three that I heard is that uh, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, the mind keeps count of your trauma and of your tropes. And so of your trauma, yes, we, we get re-traumatized by things. This may pertain specifically in this context to African-Americans, but in a broader context, it pertains to all human beings. All of what we've gone through, all of our traumatic experience are kept uh, in this. And there's a theory called the trauma wall, which is why you could do something to someone and their response might be disproportionate. It's not necessarily what you've done, is that what you've done triggered, the tr went behind the trauma wall and affected something in their lives. So we should use that as a way to care for each other and be careful in how we interact with each other because we may trigger folks. And then also if you're triggered, be careful to do some work to realize it might not be that person triggering you. It might be something that's yet unresolved in you. So it keeps, the mind keeps count of trauma, but also of tropes. And so we are all guilty of tropes about each other, 
Blacks are guilty of tropes about uh, white white people and Caucasian, and white people are guilty about tropes about you know, and we're guilty about tropes about our Asian brothers and sisters, about our Jamaican brothers and sisters. I remember growing up, the joke used to be every Jamaican had seven jobs. To a certain extent, that's okay. That's great. <laughs> that means they work hard, but does it does it does it give room to a different type of trope? So the brain and the mind uh, keeps track of your traumas and your tropes. Uh, the fourth principle that I heard. Uh, was keeping an eternal perspective, uh, looking at things from the eye of eternity. It kind of dovetails a little bit more with also just knowing that God is the only one that can truly give justice, but having an eternal perspective, knowing, uh, looking for, for a redemptive conversation, uh, not just a conversation for you to just uh, pour on people or those type of interactions, but thinking from an internal perspective. And then fifth, this, and this comes right out of, uh, what we just said last year is spend time with the Lord, uh, especially when you experience pain and trauma, or especially when you're confused. Do not let social media or just public um, the public opinion be what guides your opinion of things. Be circumspect to ask, to take time away and spend with the Lord. As, as Pastor Nathan rightly said, this was a reoccurring theme for Jesus to just spend time with the Lord. That's a great passage, Pastor Jared. Like that's like, that's something that as many times as I've read that text, I think I've missed that part. I think I've missed that part. Like I've missed that he gets hit with a devastating blow. Your cousin, your forerunner, the person who I would say he has the most intimate relationship with in terms of eternity, right? Because John was prophesied way before he ever met Peter, way before he ever met John. So they've had a connection. In fact, their connection goes to the womb even, right? Because he, because because Elizabeth's baby was essentially still like dead in the womb. If it, it seems like he hasn't moved until Mary came and said, and 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 then she says, the the mother of my Lord is here. And so you know, there's this so much history there, just not just familiarly, but man, what a great time! Like we all know, like it's beautiful to have brothers and cousins and whatever. But what a wonderful thing when they're also in the ministry with you and serving with you. That's that's a double pleasure, right? That's a double joy. Um, and so, and and he gets hit with that. Um, and if he could weep when when Lazarus dies, can only imagine what was going through him traumatically, right? So we're using a little bit of our sanctified imagination at this point, but I don't think it's far fetched. He took some time away to talk with God. Whatever that conversation is, friends, we can learn from that. We can learn from that instead of letting public opinion um, um, dictate how we feel about things and how we handle things. So those are five principles that I've kind of pulled out of this as we we're talking. I don't know if there's any more brothers that you guys see that would be helpful. No, I think I think it's always, uh, and I'll, I'll just speak to, to the people that I, I am most understanding their worldview with white people. Um, just speak to you if you're white and you're still struggling with this concept or, or you're, you're having all kinds of emotions come up, um, whether it's frustration or you're confused or you watch the trial, you're not experiencing it like I am, but you're experiencing it more and like you're, you're not sure where you're at with it, that there's the opportunity for you to follow those emotions down to where they come from and, and allow God at that same time to spend time with God and allow him to point it out. Like the Holy Spirit, I talked about this on Sunday, we're given the Holy Spirit. We can't be pure. We can't be right without the Holy Spirit. He, he's the counselor. He sees truth. And if we're honest before him and say, point out, this is a great prayer, Jesus. And this is for everyone, but I'm, you know, in this situation, it's helpful. God, point out the ways inside of me that are not of you. And then just listen and allow God to point some things out and then follow that trail. Your emotions aren't bad. They're invitations. They're invitations mm. to understand why you're, you know, we, we just touched on it. Like there's trauma way beyond, you know, someone acts disproportionate to a situation. Well, that emotion tells you something about maybe a previous wound. Your emotions on this trial, if they are strong, follow that. And that's always an invitation, no matter what side you're on. It's an invitation not to numb, not to run, not to justify but to go to your savior and say, look, you got, you got to tell me what's going on here. Cause I'm not sure I even understand what's going on. And he will, he's faithful to do that. Faithful to love two other things uh, or real quick. You know, we have a racial justice page as well. Um, full of information. You can find more follow-up resources. If you want to talk more about that, Jared has already said that we're open to having conversations. I think Jared loves having conversations. Daniel loves having them. 
I, they love it more than me, but I love it too. I'll do whatever <laughs> I can. I, I mean, I'll just be honest. Like, you guys like you guys are like, uh, you know, pigs in mud, man. You love like like wrestling around. Yeah, you ever heard that phrase? It's like no, it's like you were, no you're like yeah, anyway I won't get into it because it's I will it's, I will tell you one that's a bad trope that I will not say on the air later when we get off okay yeah we're broken people as you can tell we all yes, broken we are um and then you know part of the other thing too is we bring this up and maybe you're newer to the church and you weren't here for um the last year as we've been talking through some of these things we want to make sure that people understand where we stand on stuff as best we can with hot button issues. And literally tomorrow, it just happened to also be on the schedule. Um, the three of us will be sitting down to talk through our racial justice position papers. There's lots of justice we need to talk about, but we're going to talk about racial justice and really write it out where we stand biblically on that so that people can know where we're at. So that's in process. We understand that sometimes you're like, what are they saying? What are they not saying? And trying to put us into some kind of box, even though we're on Zoom and we're in a box, um, you know, we want to make sure people understand where we stand with it biblically um, to continue to move forward. And then we're starting a new series uh, for the next long period of time called Galatians. And if in Galatians, we come up against something that's going to talk about something that's going on in our world, whether that's the racial uh, tensions and justice there, or with the unborn, or with sexuality, we are going to allow scripture to read our culture and to read us and then speak about it. And I look forward to that, looking forward to the opportunities that are presented to us. Uh, we are a church that's not afraid of talking about very difficult issues and hoping that it becomes a dialogue. And then that's all I'll say about that. Awesome. Yeah. And um, I will throw one more principle, but this was not necessarily, well, it actually captures some of the things we've said today, but this is one that I live by. Um, and I, 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 I actually created this for myself because it was super helpful for me, but no one is entitled to your unfiltered thoughts, not even you. No one is entitled to your unfiltered thoughts, not even you. Your thoughts should be filtered through God's word, through his spirit, through his leading, but not you. And if you understand humanity, that we are flawed and broken. I mean, we're not just joking about it when Pastor Nathan said that earlier. We're broken people. Um, we are broken people. And some of us are further along in the process than others. Amen to that. But we are still all broken. And we need not put all confidence in our own thoughts, our own minds, because they will lead us wrong. The same mind that leads you into sin will accuse you when you get into sin. Like, hey, why'd you do that? Um, it's like, you tell me. Um, so so that's all good. If you missed uh, the rest of the five um, um, the five principles, they're up earlier. And I think Pastor Jared wrote them in there as well. So um, so yeah, those are great. Um, rewind this podcast, a great opportunity, or rewind this Facebook link, whatever, wherever platform you're on, you could just re-listen to that and we talk through those. Um, um, and those are great principles that are biblical principles. But above all things, folks, just let God's word set, just saturate our minds. Uh, we should not be beholden to a world um, that is not um, that is not beholden to God. So I think that's just where I would leave that. But all things, folks, let's not be afraid to have these conversations. Let's continue to be the people who will have these conversations, who will talk through these things. Um, and I think sometimes it's those unsaid things that make it harder for us to relate to each other because we assume so much about each other. Well, I think that is great. Um, Pastor Jared, you mind praying for us uh, and just praying for folks and whatever yeah. comes to mind. And then we will bid you guys adieu until next time. Yeah. Well, God, thank you for an opportunity to um, have breath in our lungs and minds in our heads to process through this and just the heart that you've given us. We pray that you continue to um, shape our hearts to be those who can mourn with those who mourn as well as rejoice with those who um, are joyful. And um, God, I pray that we would imitate Jesus and um, spend time with you and really uh, listen to you and sit with you in silence and anger and um, frustration um, and then come out with a heart that is still compassionate towards those, those who are um, in need of healing, of justice, uh, whatever it is that they might need. Pray for all those listening right now um, and listening later uh, that they would be comforted by your spirit. Um, and that they would be drawn back into community even more so, um, so that we can learn how to love one another well and model that for the rest of our world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Man, well, I love you guys. Love you, brothers. Always a pleasure to connect with you guys. Facebook, always a pleasure. Um, Pastor Jared, you, 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 you hit the drop the mic button for us. I will. All See right, you, everybody. Sweet. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us. And if you would like to connect with us and have us help you take your next steps with Life Church, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now and click on that button that says connect card. And we will be happy to make contact with you and help you take your next steps. Enjoy the rest of your day.